The Crux of the Matter, Episode 33, Pastors in Times of Crisis. Hello and welcome to The Crux of the Matter, the show by pastors for pastors. My name is Pastor Todd Peppercorn. And I'm Professor Scott Stigmeyer. How are you today, Scott? Uh, it's a beautiful day. I'm enjoying the cool weather. We're having, I don't know what it's like for you guys up there, but it's a cool morning for us. Cool morning. Yeah, it was kind of chilly for us too, about 60, something like that. Yeah. So yeah. it's quite lovely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And of course, we're both in the, uh, we're both in the kind of fall rush of things. Everything's starting, everything going. Oh, you can um, say that again. Yeah, I would say. Uh, before we uh, get to our topic at hand, uh, I thought it might be worthwhile to uh, ask our question of what are you teaching? So what's, um, so what are you starting new this, uh, this week um, in your well, teaching world? Yeah. Well, so one of the classes that I teach is called Intro to Theological Thought, and it's a required course. Um, it's actually, it's actually written, the course is for all transfer students. So I've got, I've got two sections of it and they're all transfer students. Really? So, now that's, yeah, in, so you're not talking about the 18 year old freshman. You're talking no, about these the are, No, no, these are, older. these are mostly, little, yeah. These are a little older. Yeah. They're sophomores and juniors. Okay. They're sophomores and juniors and they're all transfer students. And it's, it's the theological course that they would give to freshmen, but it's just designed slightly differently. Um, I, you know, I don't really know all the differences because I haven't taught the other one yet. Gotcha. But, um, but one of the, and so the syllabus is kind of written for me. I can, you know, change it and move things around, but, um, but there are certain textbooks that I have to use. Okay. okay. Which is, which is fine. And one of the textbooks that they, that the university, that the department rather wants me to use for this class happens to be a classic and one that I really enjoy. And I'll mention it later, um, in my joy bringer. But, um, this week I've been, we've been talking, I'll just say this, this week we've been talking a lot about C.S. Lewis. Cool. And kind of introducing what is my question to the class is what is Christianity? And I know that not all the students in the class are Christian. There's at right. least one, right. one young lady wears a hijab, you know, covering her hair. Right. Um, and you know, her name is Miriam and I won't, I won't go for her whole name, I guess, but right. she has like, she has what could very well be a Middle Eastern name. I assume that she's, I assume that she's Muslim. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So you're yeah, studying so a grief observed or the problem of pain, you know, just getting ready for the fall. Oh. <laughs> yeah. No, no. <laughs> I'm, we're doing a humor there. Sorry. Yeah. 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 It's, but well, it's, but it's really been fun. Good. 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 What good. are you teaching? Well, I'm, um, I'm starting my, uh, you know, we have roughly a bazillion Bible classes that go on around here. Some of them go through the summer. Others, Others take a break for the summer and start up and, and, um, and I'm kind of starting up the ones that are going the fall again and we're doing Genesis. And, uh, obviously there's lots of stuff that's, uh, fun with that. One thing I'll just, uh, point out, um, is, uh, is in looking at Genesis one, I've been, I've been trying, I've been reading along with this, looking at it, um, a little bit, certainly in the Hebrew, which I've done before, but I'm also looking at it in the Septuagint. In the in the Greek edition, which is really interesting, because there are, uh, I mean, Greek's just fun. It first, it just is, and there and there are so many uh, roots and cognates and things that we get, like in uh, one, um, one nine and ten, you know, where you have uh, God gathering the waters 
together into one place. You know, verse 10, God called the dry earth, the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. Well, that, that phrase translated, we're gathered together, um, uh, the waters that were gathered together is, um, systemata ton hudaton. You know, so systemata is the is the gathered together. It's the system. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> so, right. He systematizes that, the waters. Yeah, I I, I just yeah. I find that interesting. And yeah. in the next verse, verse eleven, uh, you have the let the earth sprout vegetation, and the uh, and the word for sprout is blastesata. <laughs> <laughs> so the so the uh, the earth blasts forth vegetation, and it's just kind of it's cool. I haven't um, I haven't read through Genesis in the Septuagint, or you know not not kind of intentionally in my reading, looking referring to it or looking at it. So I'm gonna do, I'm gonna try doing that this time, and that should be a lot of fun. There's just you know Spayron. You just got lots of great words that have cognates that I think might bring a different color to it. So it's been yeah, fun. That is cool. Have you ever seen the little, or it's not a little book, but have you ever seen the book called When the World Began? I think is what it's called by um, um, Helmut Tielicke. Yeah. 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 You made yeah, me buy it earlier. So, so uh, <laughs> it's a yeah. series of sermons, right? It's his sermons on Genesis, that's, which I think are quite rich. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a fun one. That's one of the, one of the pieces that I'll be reading through this year. So it's cool. Nice. Cool. Nice. I, uh, I like studying the Bible. It's fun. And I'm continuing my Hebrews, Hebrews class. And that's just kind of, you know, really kicking me and forcing me to get into the text more, which is a good thing. Definitely. Yeah. 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 Hebrews is a complex book. It is a complex book. It's a fascinating book. It's, mm-hmm. it's really, it's one of, I, I would not consider myself, uh, an exegete in kind of formal academic training. I don't have a, you know, I've had plenty of languages and certain heaven knows I've all kinds of classes, but that that's not how I would sort of, uh, as you would say, self-identify. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, uh, but I but I have had a couple graduate classes on Hebrews and have always thoroughly enjoyed it as a book. It is a bit of a challenge to draw it down into a class that I can teach with to seventy lay people. That's yeah. that's tricky because it's very easy to go into this long, you know, sort of really deep rabbit hole of rhetorical device and, you know, notice how this chiasm, play, you know, blah, 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 and everybody starts yeah. to glaze over. So I have to be careful with that. Yeah. Yeah. But it's fun. It's sure. fun. Sure. So um, our our topic for this week kind of grew out of our topic for last week. Uh, last week, we talked about what it means to be a pro-life pastor. And in connection with that, um, I had a question from my, uh, uh, from uh, one of my cousins, in fact, just asking the question of how do pastors, um, how do pastors handle crisis situations? What do you do as a pastor when some, someone comes to you in a time of crisis? And I thought we could spend a, spend a little bit of time talking about that. Um, and maybe the place to begin is what does it mean to be uh, in crisis? What does, you know, that's, what does crisis mean? And how do you yeah. kind of think about that? Well, when I think of crisis management or, you know, when I hear the word crisis, I usually think of 
um, uh, it's a life or death situation or, you know, so when you first proposed this topic, my first thought was, well, I've never been a police chaplain. You know, right. I've, you know, I've never been a, you know, a, a hospital chaplain called into an ER or something like, you know, I'm thinking life and death, but right. really crisis can refer to relational crises. Uh, can refer to, you know, individuals having a personal crisis or a crisis of faith, sure. I suppose. Sure. Um, you know, and so, and, and just about any pastor, even if you're not like a, you know, a fire department chaplain who gets called out to emergency life and death scenarios very often, um, you still get people calling you up and say, Hey, help me. My marriage is falling apart. Right. Or, or my, right. you know, my son is making a huge mistake or, you know, people still come to you with their, with what for them are maybe not life or death literally, but are, but can seem like life or death, you know, scenarios. Well, I remember a, uh, a pastor that, that we've, we've talked about once or twice on here before, Pastor Ledick, Peter Ledick, um, just commenting to me once that, one of the things that a pastor brings in any time of, of stress, physical stress, emotional stress, spiritual stress, is that the pastor is there to bring peace, the peace of, the peace of Christ. Um, but in that sense, to, to kind of teach people to order their days and to understand that there is nothing on earth that is a a crisis that kind of threatens your salvation. Mm-hmm. And and I've and I've I've kind of I've always taken that to heart to to be that that one of my goals is to be the um is to be the rock mm-hmm. to be the to be the force of stability and normalcy when things are chaotic. Mm-hmm. In, in people's lives. And, and, and you kind of covered the gambit there. We could be talking about a, a marriage crisis. We could be talking about physical crisis, emotional, spiritual, whatever it is. Um, the, to teach people to understand that this thing, whatever the thing is that they're dealing with, is not everything. And, right. and, and, and simply to kind of get that Get that picture or get that reality in front of people and, and continually hold up and teach, uh, and, and teach and model that they're, that our life is in Christ and that regardless of the, the individual circumstances, our identity is bound up in Him and is not, and, and, and is not at stake. Let, let's say. Yeah, you know, I used to uh not you know, I don't make home visits very much as a professor, I don't imagine. But um whenever I would make a home visit as a pastor, not necessarily just an average shut-in visit, but if it sure. was going to be like someone has died or there's been some let us say crisis, um you know, I just I don't know whenever I would enter the house, I would always say a silent prayer peace to this house. Right. You know, peace to this house is, is, is a prayer to God, but also as a reminder to me, you know, that just what you were saying, you know, to be, to be the presence of Christ in a way. And that's going to be the calming of the storm for yeah. people. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I like that very much. And, you know, and I think of the people that, uh, over the, over the years that have, have either come to see me or that I have, that I've gone to visit that so, so often, you know, we get 
ramped up in in a situation in a circumstance that is that is serious. No, no doubt about it. You know, the, I'm, I'm in no sense meaning to belittle the situation at all. Mm-hmm. But, but a part of what we bring as pastors is context, mm-hmm. and the context is is that you are the body of Christ, mm-hmm. and that who you are as a child of God uh, is shaped by. God Himself, who is the who is the Creator and your Redeemer, and because of that, we approach crises differently than many others. I would I would say because we're able to bring something that others are not able to bring. Well, here's a crisis. Um, if anything is, I think that that we might actually that we might face. Um, so I got invited to speak to the a regional gathering of DCEs, Directors of Christian Education. And for those, if you're not familiar with our denomination, these are usually folks that specialize in our congregations and children and youth ministry and family ministry type things. And so I got invited to speak on the issues of sexuality um, to the regional gathering of DCEs. I haven't done it yet, but um, you know, so when I'm talking to the person that has invited me, she's like, you know, tell us, help, help us know what to do if some, if one of the students in our youth group comes out, you know, right. to, to the youth group or to the counselor or to a pastor, right. you know, or, or, or the parents come to you and say, our child has said that, you know, said that he or she is gay or that they think they're transgender. And so I've been reading up on the subject and, you know, put less eloquently, you know, one of the things that I'm going to tell them, I'm going to put this on a, on a big PowerPoint slide is the first thing is don't freak out. You know, that's their first thing. Don't freak out and remind, remind your family, you know, the family, remind the youth if that's the situation, just what you were saying of their identity. Their identity is not found in their sexual attractions. Their identity is found in their baptism, that they're one in Christ, one with Christ. I like that. Um, yeah, don't freak out, you, you know, and then focus on their true identity. Yeah. No, I think that, I think that's really good and, and is important. And so when we, when we bring, when we're kind of enter into this situation, whatever it is, I, I mean, and that, that advice, frankly, is really good for pastors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> First of all, don't freak out. Um, right. Whatever it is, I'm, I guarantee that if you haven't dealt with it, other pastors have, and if they haven't, they will. So mm-hmm. you are a part of this kind of ongoing stream of pastoral care that, that has continued through the ages and will continue through the ages in how God shepherds and cares for his people. Um, and that, and that's important. I, I think it might be worth just, just mentioning that. In dealing with with crisis situations, again, physical, emotional, spiritual, and that can be anything from a personal disaster, um, you know, a parishioner's house burns down, uh, to a, a time of kind of personal crisis. Let's, uh, you know, and 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 I have had had this happen where I've had a parishioner come to me and saying, you know, I'm I'm pregnant. I don't want to tell my parents. Um, my my boyfriend wants me to get an abortion. Um, what do I do? Uh, that kind of that kind of crisis, and so I first of all have to uh, detach. Isn't the right word because that sounds clinical, but I do have to 
keep myself grounded in my identity as their pastor and not contribute to the chaos, mm-hmm. um, not enter into the drama. And sometimes uh, our lives our lives do reflect the drama of the situation a lot more than we might like. You know, that could mean uh, if you're talking about uh, family dynamics, for instance, divorce, children, just family conflict, I don't want to contribute to the drama. <laughs> no. um, and, and that's hard when you're in the middle of it. Because, you know, you can look at it and you may know exactly what's going on and you may have a real clear picture in your head of what needs to happen. But vocationally, what am I there for? I am not there to fix them. Right. I am not. And and that's hard. Oh, that's hard. Especially for us recovering control freaks. Yeah, Um, recovering control freaks. And because, you know, we... We, I would think is that most pastors are compassionate and the word compassionate, right? I mean, etymologically would be passion with, you know, or empathy that you are, that you do sort of, uh, participate, you do suffer with them. And your guts are moved, literally. Your guts are moved, right? I mean, you know, we want, you know, we have, we, we minister with the compassion that we have received. We've been shown compassion and we are compassionate to others. Right. And, um, and so that can mean and suffering that's a good thing. with. That's not a bad and that, thing. And that is a good thing. But at the same time, not getting, like you put it, not getting pulled into the chaos so that you become a part, a contributor to it. Um, and rather than someone who can be the source of context or the one who, who, you know, represents the peace of God in this situation. Yeah. I think that's, I, so, so that's kind of one end. On the other end of it, when the, when the crisis situation, uh, subsides or when you're, you know, it so often it seems like you are uh, kind of helicoptered into these situations where I have to do a, I have to do a mid, a mid air drop into the middle of a, of a mess. And then I go in and I do whatever, you know, whatever things that I do. And then I'm lifted out of the situation. And then all of a sudden I have to kind of make sense of what just happened and how to, and what to do with it. I also think it's important as pastors to, to give ourselves permission to be exhausted, mm-hmm. per- permission to 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 recognize this is hard. This is hard work. This is physically, emotionally, spiritually taxing. Bearing bearing another person's burdens with them or carrying those burdens for them is very hard. And so we should neither we should not be surprised to find that I am not. Um, I am not as functional after as I was before and that that's simply the way that it is. Maybe I had all kinds of other things that I was going to get done that day and guess what? They ain't getting done. Mm-hmm. Not like I, not like I thought and that that's okay because it is precisely those situations that, that allow you, give you opportunity to be a pastor for that family so that you're now a part of their story, which means that the church is a part of their story, which means that Christ is a part of their story. Mm-hmm. And that honestly, there is just nothing else that you're going to do as a pastor that's more important than that. That's whatever it is that's on your list. 
that's the that's the most important thing along the way. And that's hard for me because I've got lists and I've got stuff that I need to get done. And and uh, and I am easily tempted in times of crisis to to be frustrated with myself or with them and to think of this as <sighs> I've got all of these things that I got to get done. And now sure. I'm going to go deal with this nonsense for a while and I'm going to come back and I'm going to be behind and I'm going to be tired and I'm going to have all of this stuff. And to back out of that and say, yeah, and isn't it great that at that time, for whatever reason, however it happened, Christ was present with them delivering the word and that God used me to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's, it is the, it is the burden and responsibility of the pastor. It is, it's what we're called for, called to do. It's a joy. And also, I mean, there, there is, it seems strange to say that, but there's a joy or there's a grace involved, I should say. And, you know, it's a gift to be able to walk with someone and, you know, and you bond with your parishioners in a way that through those things that, you know, years later, those kinds of bonds just can't be replaced. You know, no. In the best situations, you, you know, you you bond with your sheep and your sheep bond with you because you were part of their, you know, part of their family for that, for that painful time. Yeah. Should we, should we ask the question of when should someone call their pastor? Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. One of the questions, um, that we got on Facebook from a, a pastor named Michael was, how do you teach people to uh, contact their pastor in times of crisis? You know, why is it? Well, there's, I, in my mind, there are kind of multiple answers to that. I don't know what your answers, answer will be, but I'll give you mine and then you can, and then you can do the rebuttal. Um, uh, a part of that is chances are they are not going to learn how to do that while they're in the crisis. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so important as a pastor to build, to build rapport, to build these relationships with people under normal pastoral care of, of preaching, of teaching, of catechesis, of visitation, of all of these other things. So that when the extraordinary care happens, when the emergency happens, you are a part of the conversation already. That's not a, that's not a, a, a weird, thing that, oh, things have gotten so bad, we've got to call the pastor, mm-hmm. but that, you know, you're a part of their family as it were so that you can, you can do that. So part, so that's kind of my answer. Number one is they, they need to be taught that when they are not in crisis. <laughs> that's kind yeah. of, that's kind of number one. How would you answer that question? No, I think that's a great answer. I think that it's, it is about having um, a, re- a pastoral relationship with your with your flock, so that it seems natural to them to call on you, and not like, oh well, we've tried everything else, <laughs> yes, and as exactly. a last ditch effort, let's call the priest. Right, right. You know, rather than right. rather than break the glass, like, call the pastor. Right, exactly, exactly. Pull out the red phone. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, that, that it seems more natural. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the pastor is going to be called in the middle of the night for every hangnail and every, you right. know, argument. And, but, um, but that, you know, when, if a couple is have, if a couple in your congregation is having marital difficulty, that they can agree, you know what, it'd be really a smart idea for us to call Pastor Peppercorn and, and, and have him at least pray with us because, you know, we're having this problem. That that would seem like a natural thing. If this is someone, if you, You've been in their home 
You know, right. if you've been to their, you know, been to their workplace or, you know, gone to their children's basketball game or their children's school play, then it will be much more natural for them to say, Hey, let's, let's get past our call. Um, and see if he can give us some counseling and maybe some, um, and pray with us and whatever, whatever right. other things, whatever, need to be done. whatever it may be that is, that is, needed. yeah. No, I agree. Right. I totally, I totally agree. Um, another aspect of this is, I think, asking, asking yourself the question and teaching and, and teaching your parishioners to, to kind of clarify in their own minds, what are you doing there? You know, what, what is my, what is my purpose there? Sometimes Mm -hmm. that means actually asking. Mm -hmm. Um, that's one of the things, and and I don't, that I do nearly every single time. And I kind of learned this from, uh, from doxology from, uh, Dr. Harold Sankbile. Um, although, you know, it certainly is not unique to him. Um, and, and that is to, to act, to verbally, Ask people what they want. Now, I don't mean a, you know, look at your watch. Okay. So what can I do for you today? I got other stuff to do, but, mm-hmm. but to, but to actually have it, have clear, am I, am I there to pray? Am I there to mm-hmm. offer scripture? Am I there to bring the Eucharist? Am I there to, am I there to help carry sandbags? Cause it's flooding, you know, whatever it is, um, that I have a clear picture in my own head of what I'm doing there. So that I can clarify for them what place I have in being there. Yeah. And that's, yeah. Uh, uh, oftentimes as, as pastors, if things, things get very messy and messed up in terms of pastoral care when I don't have a good idea what I'm doing there. If I walk into a situation without any plan or thought, Chances are it's not going to be real clear on why I'm there because I no, don't know you why might, I'm there. You, you might not be much used to them then. Right, right. right. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not there to bring them the gospel, um, mm-hmm. then what what am I doing there? So I, I kind of have to and, – and that means recognizing limitations, you know, and, and that, that means recognizing limitations. That means recognizing vocation. You know, I, I don't want someone to call me because they've had a gunshot wound. I mean, they can call me, yeah, but from am, the hospital right, after they've called nine one one. Exactly, but but I am not going to be able to help them specifically with the gunshot wound. That's outside of my vocation, or mm-hmm. whatever it is. Um, so the so that that's a big that's a big part ongoing of teaching a congregation. What does it mean to have a pastor? What does it mean to be under pastoral care? Um, what is what is there? relationship to you as a family and whatever that context may be. So I think that's a big, I think that's a big part of it too. Yeah, sure. Defining why you're there. Yeah. And, and maybe one kind of one final thing uh, would be not to be afraid at the same time of getting messy. Right. You know, go into a messy situation. You may end up carrying sandbags. If it's a flood, you may, you may end up, uh, you know, watching the watching the child while mom and dad have to take care of something else. That you know, sometimes those circumstances happen, and and uh, I'm not going to go into a situation and say, "Well, 
I'm sorry, I can't help you with that problem because that's that's not in my call document. Right. And so, uh, you know, I'm uh, kind of give this impression that I'm above such petty things. Uh, that's and there's a tension there, no no doubt about it. Because mm-hmm. I can get um, I can get sidetracked into majoring in minors just really fast, but there does have to be some resilience there. That sometimes the pastor does actually have to shovel the walk so that people can mm-hmm. get to church. Sometimes you are going to end up doing some kind of am, amateur counseling. That's that's not going to be. Sp- strictly speaking in your vocation mm-hmm. and and as long as i'm clear and I, and i clarify that with them i think that's that's not only okay but it's it's almost necessary you know think i'm thinking of the good samaritan you know whatever it takes i'll right. pay for it right that's right. kind of the that's kind of the picture along the way and that's mercy that's that's diaconia right there mm mm-hmm. mhm yeah, and and to use a phrase that's overused, you know, there is something to the ministry of presence, I think. You know, just simply sure. being there. At times, you won't know what to say. Right. You know, at, at times, it will be best to just simply, you know, be be a comforting presence in the room because they – and, you know, I think we, I think we at times underestimate for our parishioners how meaningful it can be to have their pastor with them. Right. Um, whether he's saying very much or not, but to have their pastor with them, I think for many of our parishioners can be very meaningful. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, so, some, so it's okay to be uncomfortable and, and, and it's okay if it's messy. Um, and, you know, we, we can, we can still look back on those as, if you will, fruitful moments. Yeah. No, I, I, absolutely. Um, one, one other one other thought on this would be uh, to to be intentional in your thinking about diaconia, about mm-hmm. about mercy and about and about service and care, and that that may mean, in pra- in fact, probably should mean that there are other people in your parish that are going to be involved. Sure. You know, in my in my case, I have a deaconess, wonderful deaconess, and as a result. Um, she and I are able to strategize in how to care for a person mm-hmm. and and that 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 overall strategy is going to mean uh, ministry of word and sacrament it's also going to mean diaconia it's going to mean caring for this person in their body and and that we can do that together um not all pastors in fact most pastors are not do not have that opportunity to have someone who's trained in that, but mm-hmm. to develop the uh, the the community as a community of diaconia, a community of mercy of service. That's a that's a big idea, and that also, by the way, takes a huge amount of pressure off of the pastor, so that the pastor does not have to be everything. Because if you're going to try to be everything, it's not going to mm-hmm. work. It just right. doesn't. You're going to exhaust yourself. You're going to end up with compassion fatigue, and it's just going to be a big mess. Yeah. I guarantee it. So don't get into a mess like that. Just that, that, that's the advice for the day. I think we talked about that for enough for right now, Scott. Yeah, I feel good. Yeah, 
Well, if you feel good, I feel good. Uh, you can find the show notes for this episode at thecruxofthematter.net slash podcast slash 33. And I would invite you to do so. If you have any, any areas or, or thoughts or resources on, on pastoral care in times of crisis that you think would be a benefit for us, please send them to me. Feedback at thecruxofthematter.net or Scott. Um, let us, let us know what you think or, or any other questions connected in connection with that. I think this is a topic that will probably be worth our circling back to at some point. So I think that moves us on to our, uh, joy bringers. We're both in the, uh, kind of education catechesis planning realm right now. So, uh, what's bringing you joy this week, Scott? Well, I alluded to it before when I talked about what I'm teaching, and the book is Mere Christianity ah, by C.S. Yes. Lewis. Now, I know that many pastors have read this. I first read this when I was a high school student. Um, so it's definitely accessible to, uh, to laity. It's, it's not like reading, you know, um, you know, something at the fourth grade level. Um, but it, it's accessible to the laity. I still think it is one of the best books for the thinking non-believer, you know, mm-hmm. for the th- for someone who is or someone who's not sure what they believe, or they you know they don't like organized, they're spiritual but not religious, or you know, for or or they're just an atheist like Lewis was. Lewis is intentionally trying to write to the kind of person he was. He'd been an atheist until his early adulthood, and um, I find it still. I'm rereading it, and you know, probably for the fourth or fifth time in my life, and I'm. Uh, teaching it now, which is a whole other level of reading when you have yeah. to teach. And I'm finding Lewis, I'm just remembering how well I think Lewis understood the concepts of law and gospel, even though he never uses those phrases, you know, uses, uses that specific Lutheran phrase. Um, you know, he balances, he understands that before he can talk to you about the atonement, he has to talk to you about your need, you know, your, and, you know, and he has his own fresh way of saying that. But when he starts out his first couple of chapters talking about natural law and how we've all broken that law, he explicitly states, I have to make you dismay before I can give you comfort. And I think, wow, that just sounds very Lutheran to me. There, there are moments no, like that. There are moments like that, and many of them in, in his book. So um, if you haven't read it in a while or if you've never read it, there's lots of gems. You'll find lots of quotable quotes. You'll get lots of sermonic yep. material. Yep. Um, very useful. I think it's really a great good, Really book. good book. It's not, um, mm-hmm. it's not perfect. I mean, no. in, my, in my remembrance of it, he, he definitely has a weak understanding of, uh, of the bondage of the will, of the, of the will, kind of leans a little more toward um, an Arminian free will approach but um but that's not a that's not that's it's not so much that it that you just toss out the whole book it's a great book no no he does i mean he's not a confessional lutheran right no. i mean he was a he was a, a high church anglican or you know i think he would have considered himself an average anglican yeah and a traditionalist um, anglican or something like yeah, that yeah yeah and he does i mean he you know he he leaves open the question of of theistic evolution and i mean so there are ways we can criticize it for sure um, but I think that he has enough very sound advice about how to approach the gospel with somebody who doesn't believe it um, that I think it's worth – I still think it's worth using. Yeah, it's good. Very, very good. 
Well, um, my book for the uh, – uh, my joy bringer for the week is a book I'm reading. I'm not, I'm not done with it by any stretch. But the, uh, the name of the book is Imagination Redeemed, Glorifying God with a Neglected Part of Your Mind. Uh, it was written by Gene Edward Veith and Matthew Restuccia. Um, uh, Veith is, is the, um, uh, he's a literature professor at Patrick Henry College. He's an LCMS Lutheran. Uh, has written, I don't know, a bazillion books. Some of my, uh, uh, some of my favorite, uh, favorite books. He's done lots of great writing. And, uh, the, uh, the, his co-author is a, um, is a pastor in New Jersey, pastor of Stonehill Church in New Jersey. And essentially what the book tries to do is redeem the concept of imagination for Christians. And what does it mean to both have and to use our imagination? Um, looks particularly, I find this quite interesting at the, um, at the book of Ezekiel hmm. as, um, as a place of imagination. I mean, Ezekiel is arguably the weirdest of the Old Testament prophets. Um, and, and a fascinating books, you know, can these bones live? There's, there's yeah. some really, Interesting imagery, imagination in the in the book of Ezekiel, and uh, and what Veet does is tries to provide a broader context of understanding imagination, art, literature, music, and the like. So I'm working my way through that. Um, this is a concept, uh, this area of imagination that I'm very interested in right now. I may try and do some writing on it myself at some point. So that's um, so that's fun. I was glad to glad to see that other Lutherans have at least taken up that that question at some point. Yeah, it's a great. Yeah, it's a great book. Yeah, it's new. Just came out this year. Mm-hmm. So we'll uh, mm-hmm. so we'll see how that goes. But I think that that will uh, do us for this week. Scott, do you have anything else for our dear listeners? No, thanks for listening. Yeah, it's been a good been a good week. It's good to kind of get back into the groove of things around here. And yeah. with that, we will see you all next week. All right. Goodbye. <laughs>